Will you please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127, Psalm 127, and these brothers have some Bibles. They're going to make their way toward the back, and as they do, get their attention. If you need a Bible, it's marked at Psalm 127, so you can just open it there as we look at God's Word together. On October 27, 2002, CBC was chartered as a church. And that meant that we moved from the status of a church plant under the auspices of our parent church, Huron Baptist in Flat Rock. We moved from that to an independent body charged with furthering the Great Commission. And after renting literally dozens of places over 11 years, setting up and tearing down, carrying in supplies, we finally moved into our own place here February 3rd of last year. And now, after two more months off-site, just to remind us of what our vagabond life was like, we reached this milestone event for our church. I mentioned some of the people that have been a part of making this a reality. There have indeed been many people who have planned and toiled to get us to this day. Some, God has moved to further his work elsewhere. Others have received the reward of their labor, and they are now in the presence of the Lord. But with all the man and woman hours that have been expended in the joyful effort these many years, we all need to be reminded of the truth contained in the very first line of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, the Lord does not, of course, physically build a structure. But he is the one who is behind its construction, and he is the one who alone can give it true success. We want to see that today from Psalm 127. So let's ask the Lord to help us as we do. Father, again, we thank you for the blessing of being here today and in this place. It is all because of you. We ask you to help us as we focus our attention on your word to come away with a new understanding of how you work through your people to bring about what you have designed and that we will truly understand that all we are and all we have are truly because of you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to take a look at the outline that's inserted in your program. And I say first of all there that We must acknowledge God's work in our efforts. While God has intervened directly in human affairs in history, and when he does that we call it a miracle, God most often does his work through secondary means, and we call that providence. Providence is God working through the agency of creatures to accomplish his purposes. Benjamin Franklin understood providence. Though he was not a Christian, in fact, he was a deist, he appreciated Christians and he knew a great deal about Christianity. And he understood the futility of work without God. And he expressed it quite well in his speech to the convention for forming a constitution for the United States that he delivered in Philadelphia in 1787. He said this, In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, We had daily prayers in this room for the divine protection. 
Our prayers were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence. To that kind providence, we owe this opportunity of now consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived for a long time. At that point, he was 81. And the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe without his concurring aid, we shall proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. And friends, I believe it as well. You see, because of God's common grace that's given to all men, and thus the name common, and because of his image in all people, then all people are able to accomplish great things. But unless we recognize that our accomplishments are from Him, and we do them only through Him, and that our objective is to be that they are offered to Him, then they are in vain. They are futile. For the Scripture says that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. Amen. So I say first in your outline that the Lord does not physically build, but He is the one who allows us to do it. And so I say God provides ability. It is God who provides the ability for the craftsmen, some of whom I mentioned earlier, to do what they did here. And if we're not careful, we can forget that it's God who grants the skill, the health, and the time to do all that we do. I said a few weeks ago that professing Christians sometimes adopt the approach that I called uh, that of a practical atheist. That is, we believe in God, but practically he's not a player in what we do. And by default then, when we take that approach, we become man-centered rather than God-centered. And in practice, we assent to the statement of the Greek philosopher Protagoras, who said, man is the measure of all things. Sinful man is determined to jettison God in his dealings. And that was expressed by the poet Hensley in his poem Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. And then in his last stanza, he attacks Christ and Christianity directly. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, none of us would ever say that. But we can live that way as if we are the ones who make it happen. 
And Solomon, who wrote Psalm 127, is reminding us that in every endeavor, the building of a house, the creation we'll see of a family, whatever we do, it is always God that's behind it. And the first way he's behind it is he's the one who gives the ability. When Paul stood before philosophers in Athens, Greece, in Acts chapter 17, he said to them, he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. The Heidelberg Catechism. You all know what a catechism is. It's just a question and answer form of learning. And so it's not something to be afraid of, even though we Protestants and especially Baptist types, we don't have much in the way of catechisms. But they can be very effective tools. And one such excellent catechism is one from the year 1563, the Heidelberg Catechism. And in its 27th question, it asks this, What is the providence of God? And the answer is, The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And then the next question, question number 28, is this. How does this knowledge then help us? And the answer is, it teaches us to be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity and for what is future have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love since all creatures are so in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. And so God doesn't physically build But unless God gives the ability, it could not get done. And though he does not physically build, unless he is the reason and the end for the endeavor, that endeavor is futile. And that's why I say in the outline, God not only gives ability, but secondly, he also gives purpose. God provides purpose. You see, friends, we can thank God profusely for giving us ability. But then the question becomes, For whom are you using that ability? Do you see the difference? I can say, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have breath. I wouldn't have the ability to do all the great stuff I do if it weren't for God giving it to me. But now the question is, to what end are you using that ability that he has given you? We can thank God for the ability and then use it for our own ends and our own agenda. God provides purpose. And in the very opening chapter of Scripture, to the first man and woman, The Bible tells us he said to them, God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here is God with his first creatures, the first human creatures, and he is giving them purpose. He's giving them instruction. He's telling them that their work is good. They are only there because They are the creatures of a creator who works himself, and on the seventh day he rested. One commentator has noticed the problems that we inevitably have if we try to live without conscious, intentional purpose. Let me give you a few of those problems that we have if we don't live with intentional purpose. One is this. Life will seem tiresome. Without purpose, life will just wear us out. We'll lose energy, we'll lose spark, we'll lose motivation. 
Solomon, who wrote Psalm 127, of the 150 psalms, there are only two that are attributed to Solomon. Number 127 is one of those, but you know that he wrote three other books in your Bible as well. Many of the Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and in his later years, as he looked back on his life and life in general, the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, The sun rises and the sun sets. And hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. And then he says, all things are wearisome. And the point he makes is this. Without purpose, we seem to be spinning our wheels. Running in circles, doing the same thing over and over with no progress. And life becomes a sort of treadmill. We use up a lot of energy, but we don't get anywhere. And at the end of the day, we drop into the bed exhausted, and we wonder what was the purpose of it all. Verse 2 teaches this when it says, notice verse 2 of Psalm 127. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Without purpose, that's the way it is. Without recognizing God as the one who gives the purpose and is behind all our endeavors, Life will be tiresome. It will also be unfulfilling. Without purpose, we'll never be satisfied. Always wrestling with discontent. Again, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon says, The eye never has enough of seeing. The ear, it's fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how restless people are? I mean, if you just want an example... Put a remote in somebody's hand. Okay, enough of that. Let's move over to here. All right, enough of that. Over here. Many of us have the fastest thumb in the West. Just go from thing to thing. A recent study predicted the average person will change channels 350,000 times in his or her lifetime. And will never be satisfied or at peace until we know our purpose. And the third negative effect of not having intentional purposes that life will seem uncontrollable. Again, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, what is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. What he's talking about are situations that are beyond our control. Have you ever tried to straighten out something permanently crooked, like a relationship that just refused to be straightened out, or tried to solve a problem you couldn't figure out, or tried to change somebody or a circumstance that refused to change? Some things are unfixable, at least, at least for us, and without purpose. Understanding that even in those seemingly uncontrollable situations that may not be fixed this side of heaven, then we will have the tendency to give up. The city of Edinburgh, Scotland, has this as its motto. Without the Lord, frustration. How true. Without the Lord, frustration. So how do we find purpose? Well, there are two ways. One is make up your own, roll your own purpose. And so some people try to make it up. They try to create purpose through a hobby, a sport, a craft, a career, or something else. Those activities may be fun, but inside people know there is more to life than this. Something is missing. The best way is to discover God's purpose. And God gives it to us in His Word. The Westminster Catechism, very first question is, what is the chief end of man? We have to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. All endeavors that we undertake are because of the ability that God gives, and therefore the purpose then of bringing glory to God 
from him, to him, and through him are all things. Thirdly, in your outline, God provides ability, God provides purpose, and God provides meaning. God provides meaning. Psalm 90, the one psalm of the 150 that was written by Moses, the key verse in the 17 verses of that psalm is verse number 12. Psalm 90 and verse 12 says this, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then that psalm ends by asking the Lord to, quote, establish the work of our hands. Moses is asking that the toil and labor that we undergo when we come to the end of our lives, Lord, only you can give it meaning. Establish it and make it last. God is the one who gives meaning to our efforts. And so Andy Warhol was right when he replied to a compliment about one of his paintings. In a million years, what will it matter? Or in 100 years, what will it matter? Or in 50 years, what will it matter? Friends, we need to ask ourselves then with this endeavor, in 50 years, what will it matter? In just a generation, will it matter? It will if we understand that God is the one who built this place. And this place then must be built upon God's principles. There was a beer commercial years ago that said, you only go around once, so go for the gusto. But a biblical worldview says this, you only go around once, so you make it count for eternity. One of the great tragedies that I've observed over the years in ministry is to see people that just muddle through life. Christian people who just muddle through life. Same old, nothing much when you ask them what's going on. Hear this, friends, for the Christian Right now counts forever. What we do right now counts for eternity. And what's true of constructing a house is true of all of our other endeavors as well. The end of verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So it's God who provides the ability, and God provides purpose, and God provides meaning. And I say fourthly in your outline, it's God who provides satisfaction. The end of verse 2, notice. He, God, grants sleep to those he loves. Here's a person now who can, at the end of his or her day, acknowledging that God's work is behind our efforts, acknowledging that God is the one who has given me the ability to do anything that I've done this day, But not for my own ends, not for my own agenda, but for his purpose. He's the one who imbues it with meaning. Now, if all of that is true, satisfaction is the result. And that man or woman can now lay their head to the pillow at night. And God gives them rest as a result. Knowing that they have done what they have done for the Lord, to the Lord, through the Lord. And whatever the outcome, you know, none of us can guarantee success of our endeavors, can we? Truth is, when we started this church 12 years ago, did we know we would be here? The answer is no. Did we want to be here? Absolutely. Did we have faith that God could get us here? Yes, indeed. And he's chosen to do that, but we have no guarantees with that. What God charges us with is faithfulness, not success. And if we're faithful, we're successful. And then we can lay our heads to the pillow and rest. God gives 
satisfaction. And so in your New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And so in the first part of verse 1, it talks about the endeavor, the work of of building. In the second part of verse 1, the effort of protecting what you've built, protecting a a city. And then in verse 2, the rest and satisfaction that come from the work of building, if we do it with God's purpose and understand that it's God who gives the meaning. We must acknowledge God's work then in our efforts, and I say secondly then in your outline. We must acknowledge... God's grace in our success. Now, the psalm, five verses, and it divides into two portions, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. Verses 1 and 2 are about things we do, tasks, stuff we do. So, building, guarding, But now verses 3 and 5 are about the people for whom we do them. Verses 3 through 5 are about the people for whom the house is built and the city is protected. We're going to learn now in verses 3 through 5 that only God can make a house a home. Only God can make a sanctuary, a ministry center a place for His glory, can make a group of people His family. It is God who does that, who takes then the stuff and uses it and makes sure that it is used for the people for whom it is made. And so I say, first of all, in your outline, it's God who gives prosperity, prosperity. Now, when I say prosperity, I don't mean that only in the sense of money, though it includes that, but rather if what we do, whatever it is, prospers, what I'm saying is it's God who gives that prosperity. So look at verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. What it's saying is children come from God. God is the one who opens and closes the womb. He gives success to our endeavors if success is to come. Success is not guaranteed, but if success comes, it comes because of God. He's the one who enables us to accomplish what we set out to do. And so if we try to have children, it will only happen if it's His will. And when it does, we must acknowledge it as such. Now the word reward in verse 3 sounds like there's some merit involved in having children. But, you know, if you just take a look around at the people who are able to conceive and give birth, you'll be disabused of that notion. There are many people who cannot conceive who would be infinitely better parents than many who have children. We all know that. We all see that. And so this is not you deserve it and this person does not. None of us deserves God's blessing. They are a gift from Him, including the gift of children. Now, just as an aside... It is true that the reason for infertility is ultimately, ultimately, the curse of Genesis 3, but not individual sin. That is, if there was no sin from Genesis 3, there would be no no sickness and our bodies would perform as designed. But we are all frail in some ways, and barrenness is a frailty that some have. 
And God gives, and I encourage you to consider, whether you have children or not, the adoption option. If there was no sickness, then all women could, could have children. If there was no sin, there would be no sickness that causes it. And so children are a reward, not due to individual good behavior or bad behavior, but they are a blessing from God. He gives success. Now, speaking of that, just as an aside, but a blessed aside, Billy and Madison are here. Billy and Madison Cochran are right in the back there, just to my right. But they're not here alone. Luke is making his debut today. Luke Cochran. So praise the Lord for that. And uh, we're delighted uh, with the blessing of the Lord upon your family. Friends, if we're to achieve success in our efforts, it will be God who gives it. He gives prosperity. I say, secondly, he's the one who gives resources. Resources. Verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, why do I say resources and attach it to that verse? Here's why. Because they were living in an agrarian society, a, a farming culture. And so farm hands were, were needed. In fact, when it says uh, children born in one's youth, it's literally sons. Because strong hands were needed on the farm. And so these arrows that are tools, utility, resources for a warrior, these sons now are tools and resources for a family on the farm. And it's God who provides the resources that a family needs, that a church needs, that anyone needs. And then I say as well, God gives security. God gives security. The end of verse 5. These sons will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. One translation says it this way, They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. The gate was the place where disputes were adjudicated. And the idea is they will have strength in numbers, and they'll be able to confront their enemies at the gate where justice is dispensed. Now, what does all of this mean to us? What does all of that mean to you, me, and to Community Bible Church? Well, it means this, that we need to prioritize the one who has made this place possible. The God who gave it. The God who gave the ability. The God who gives the purpose. The God who gives the meaning. The God who alone, by His grace, does not promise us, does not owe us success, but in His grace, as He so chooses, gives success, and we thank Him for it. And so we prioritize the God who made this possible, and then those for whom He made it possible. That's the structure of Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, the stuff we do and the people for whom we do it. Or think of it this way. Do you remember Jesus said the two greatest commands are these, love God and love your neighbor. And as we start out now with this expanded facility to allow us, by God's grace, to reach more people in this community, to come to Jesus and grow in Jesus, we need to commit, all of us this day, that we're going to prioritize the glory of our God. And then in turn, because we seek the glory of our God, we're going to pursue the salvation and the growth of those He brings our way, loving our neighbor. You see, friends, we're not in the brick-and-mortar business. I've got to tell you, the last couple of years, I've felt like a contractor. 
and I'm glad this is done. And I'll be glad in the spring when it's completed outside. And if I never have to be involved in a building project again, it'll be okay with me. And it has been as good as a building project can go, in large part because of people like Ed and others who have just put in all the hours they have. But nevertheless, I'm not in that business. And the truth is we're not in that business. We're in the people business. And we're in the people business because we're in the Jesus business. And Jesus loves people. And that's why 1 Peter chapter 2 says this. You are like living stones. And you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And so why is this building built? The same way any house should be built, for the purpose of God. And for the people for whom it is built. And so we need to go from this day, now this first service, in our expanded auditorium that God has given us in His grace to have this success, to go into this city where God, like He told Paul in Acts chapter 18, I have many people in this city. And to see them and their lives built up as living stones into this spiritual house. Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, and he said this, I'm writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves. And notice this, it's God's household. And it's God who can make the house, the building, into his family. And we must have his aid in order for that to happen. But it's his household, it's the church of the living God and the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And how can that happen? How can what God has allowed in His grace to happen in these years prior to happen in increasing number, if He so chooses in the future? How is it going to happen? It's not going to be because of me, (laughs) certainly. It's not going to be because of us. It's going to be because of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, There neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. We move forward. Paul, a few verses after that, just three verses after he says that, God's the one who gives the increase. God's the one who gives the growth. He then issues this warning in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3. Be careful how you build. And in that chapter, the context is building his church. And God is saying, I am delegating to you certain responsibilities. In my Providence. I'm using secondary means, you guys, to get it done. You can only get it done as I give the ability and as you pursue my purpose and with the meaning that I imbue your efforts with. And I've done that for you to, to reach people, to make that house into a home, to make it my household, to make it my family. Be careful how you build. It's my place and they're my people. So please understand, dear friends, that to this point we haven't cared, and by God's grace we won't care going forward, what the latest fads are in churchianity. We will not care what it is that just gets the most people. What we care about most is the God who allows us to do this. And what we care about most are the people that God has already determined are his people for us to reach and to do his work his way so that he's the one who receives the glory. 
That's what we begin here. And thank God for this beginning. A new beginning. Take a look at your take-home truth then. I say in your take-home truth. That all that we do, all that we do, is to be centered on God. Now let's bow together as his church and ask him to go forth now and help us to do that in the months and years ahead. Father, we cannot thank you enough for bringing us to this day and this place. Lord, you have designed this in eternity past. And everything that takes place in time is all because of your plan and your decree. And you allow us to participate in it. You allow us the joy of participating in it. You allow us, by your grace, some measure of success in the endeavors that you have assigned to us. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, we thank you because it is all you. And it is all about you. And so may Community Bible Church be your family, your household. May this structure of brick and mortar be a tool in your hand as we use it to do your bidding. Help us, Lord God, to never become enamored with the place itself. Help us, Lord, to be so enamored with the God who gave it to us and the God whose work goes forward in and and through it. And so now, Lord, we look forward to moving forward. We look forward to preaching your word, your gospel, to people we have not yet met, but that you already have for that word. You have already designated many people in this city, and by the efforts you have assigned to us, you will identify them by your spirit and through the preaching of your word. And Lord, as we are built up, we bring them into your family. One day, we look forward to standing in the new Jerusalem, in the heavenly city, and the city whose builder and maker is God, and have people from every tribe and tongue and nation who will stand around the throne and they will give praise to you. And Lord, there will be some of those people there because of what you've allowed us to do here at this place and at this time. Thank you for this great privilege. Help us to be faithful to it. We can only do it by your aid. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.